0: Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Rosheen Ingle. Now, some of you will have seen a few months ago, a great article written by one of the friends of this podcast, Brianna Parkins, and it was all about her diagnosis of ADHD and what it has meant for her life. So we've wanted to get Brianna on to talk about that. And as expected, she was fascinating. But really,
1: like ADHD is actually like a great crack.
0: You know, people, people love having you
1: around, uh, cause you're always up for doing something cause you're attracting yourself from something else. Um, you know, it, it makes you really fun in relationships because like no one knows what they're coming home to. um. <laughs>
0: Um, so, I can- so on the podcast today, Brianna will be telling us more about her diagnosis and about how it actually can be a positive thing instead of a negative thing for people. Brianna is joined on the podcast today by Mairead Deavey, uh, Barrister, who also is an ADHD coach. And that's a training she embarked on after her own unexpected diagnosis of adult ADHD in her late 20s. Mairead, I should tell you, is also an ex-international sprinter, dog lover and a bookworm. And Brianna, as you know, is an Australian living in Ireland, a former Rose of Sydney, and she's also a presenter and journalist. So we're going to be deep diving into ADHD on this episode. We want to find out what it is, how it can be treated and some of the many ways that it's misunderstood. People who have ADHD might find it difficult to organize tasks and activities or find themselves talking too much in social situations, have a difficulty waiting turn when situations where you have to wait in turn or even in completing administrative tasks. And then they also can be easily distracted by noise. Other effects of ADHD for people can be um, not achieving promotions, underperforming at work, uh, signs that they did not complete their education that they tire quickly of relationships, financial problems, difficulty maintaining social contacts, not being attentive, unable to finish a book or watch a film all the way through, not to mention all the friendships lost because of the inability to make a plan to confirm a date to meet. Now, if any of this sounds familiar, I think you're going to find this a fascinating episode. But even if it's not, it's a really interesting topic because ADHD is more commonly diagnosed in boys than in girls. And this might be because boys with ADHD tend to be more hyperactive and disruptive. Girls can have ADHD, but they may have predominantly the inattentive type and they can often appear to be in a world of their own as young children and it gets missed and the symptoms might just not be noticed because they're not disrupting a class, but their problems and their issues can lead to academic or social failure. Now, neurotypical types may be forgiven for thinking that ADHD sounds like all gloom and doom with no upside, but that's not so. Penny Jarrett is a mental health coach and writer who was diagnosed at 30 and she says, I'm full of ideas, almost nonstop. Having ADHD feels like your brain is a browser with way too many tabs open and all are so interesting that none can be closed down. I don't doubt my neurodiversity has caused many problems in my life, but it has also provided me with an unbeatable work ethic. So like I said, I think this is a really interesting conversation and I began it by asking Marae Devi to tell me the answer to a simple or maybe not so simple question, what is ADHD?
2: So ADHD is um, an abbreviation for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, um, which is actually uh, an incredibly poorly named um, condition because it's not a deficit of attention at all. It's a surplus of attention, but a challenge with regulating it and getting it where you need it to go at times. Um, But uh, yeah, in a nutshell, that's that's what ADHD is.
0: Uh, Tell us, first of all, before we debunk it all, what is the stereotypical idea of ADHD? You kind of alluded to it there.
2: Uh, yeah I I think most people will kind of share this sort of common idea around you know sort of a hyperactive little boy you know kind of ants in his pants can't sit still in the classroom bouncing off the walls getting in a lot of trouble and certainly you know that would have been my impression and I'm sure um, Brianna would have had a similar one Um, but what we are finding more and more is that um, it can also present um, in sort of an inattentive way um, and that's particularly common uh, in girls which I know was kind of the focus today.
0: Yeah, and that's what we want to talk about. So Tell me about how it presents differently in girls and why a lot of the time um, it's not spotted in women until much later.
2: Yeah. And I suppose I should say as well that this is a generalisation because, of course, there are lots of girls out there who will say, well, hang on a second, I was really hyperactive. Um, and equally, there are boys who are inattentive. But I suppose when these criteria uh, would have been um, you know, laid out many years ago and put into the sort of diagnostic manual, they were based on looking at boys and I suppose overwhelmingly boys do tend to to display these hyperactive characteristics and as a result the more inattentive type are missed an awful lot in girls and it isn't just the fact that girls are inattentive it's that girls what we find is that they are very good at masking their symptoms and that kind of goes back to sort of gender norms and roles and expectations there's an amazing psychologist uh, in the states Dr Ellen Littman, who's looked at all of this. And what she has found is that particularly for what she terms twice exceptional girls, so girls who are very intelligent and very high achieving, they look around and they realise that all of the things that they are expected to be organised, you know, good at social interactions, um, nurturing are things that they're struggling with. And so they work twice as hard to cover those up and it's missed and it can have really devastating consequences.
0: So before I bring Brianna in to talk about her personal experience of this, tell me about yours. Tell me about your childhood growing up and then how, you know, realizing what, what you were actually had changed your life, I suppose.
2: Yeah. So growing up, I suppose I would have been looking back sort of the classic inattentive Um I probably was quite hyperactive as a child, um, you know, sort of my mum would describe going into a shopping centre or supermarket and she'd look down and my coat would be discarded on the ground and I would have, you know, gone and I'd be jumping on the sort of the displays, beds and done stores and stuff like that. But I think in school, really, it would have been chatting and daydreaming and looking out the window but because I was bright, I, you know, kind of managed to get by, I would have done well in primary school and been near the top of the class, then Secondary school would have posed some additional challenges because you're kind of moving between classrooms, you have different books, you have your locker. And I think for me where it really uh, hit was when I was in college um, because I had gone from, you know, the structure and routine of parents and both my parents were teachers. So there would have been a big emphasis in education and they were very supportive. Um, And I also competed um, at quite a high level at athletics right throughout my teen years and so there was a structure with that and all of a sudden I'm in UCD you know I have to fend for myself and I just couldn't cope I couldn't get myself to lectures I couldn't kind of manage my time to get my assignments done they just sometimes didn't get handed in and I kind of went from having been this high achieving person to somebody who was failing exams you know socially I was really struggling as well um and That was kind of the start of the unraveling, but it took another kind of few, a good few many years before I was finally diagnosed. In my early to mid-twenties, I would have gone to see a GP and described being struggling and sort of been told that it was anxiety and given medication for that. And it was only when I got to 28 um, that I actually came upon ADHD myself and went sort of, holy cow, that's what's going on here. So um, I got the diagnosis. What's amazing to me, and I know that this is universal to women with ADHD, is despite the fact that I've now been diagnosed, I still have days where I go, "You, you don't have that. You you just have tricked everyone." And it's laziness, and it's this, and that's sort of what you've grown up with—that kind of feeling about yourself—and it's very hard to to, to undo it, but. It definitely has changed my life in that I am able to be, I suppose, more compassionate with myself most of the time. If I can catch myself, you know, I'm able to say, stop saying that to yourself. Um, You know, I do take um, a small amount of stimulant medication, which has been hugely helpful in terms of motivation. But what I would say is, um, and I know some people don't have this experience, but a lot of women who get diagnosed in their 20s and 30s, there is a grief around it because although you're delighted to finally understand why you struggled, there's a sense of why did nobody catch this? And could my life have been a lot easier?
0: Yeah. Brianna, does any of this, I'm sure lots of it resonate with you as somebody who relatively recently has had a diagnosis of ADHD?
2: Oh, it all all
1: resonates. (laughs) Even, Even doing athletics to a high level in my teens, I also did that. Um, I think, I also I thrived with having too much to do and I still thrive with having too much to do you have to load me up with activities so that I do the things I have to do in a short amount of time it's called it's called like I, there's a technical term that um occupational therapists use for it um where it's basically you're overloading yourself with activities so you give yourself a small window of time to get the important stuff done the, the work will fill the time if you give me like I don't know, two weeks to do one task, I will take the two weeks. Um, if you give me eight hours to do it, I will do it. And I have this kind of, I, my brain has an on and off switch. There's no like go slow, go fast. That is it, on and off. But that can also be really exhausting. And yeah, I can get a lot of work done in a short amount of time, but then I have to basically be nonverbal for two weeks and not talk to anyone to recover. So it's really hard to keep that regulated and to be functioning like the rest of you normies.
0: <laughs> I don't know if there's any normies on this call, to be honest.
2: <laughs> we call you all neurotypicals. We're neurodivergent.
0: Yeah, yeah. You sound like you've got a superpower, to be honest with you. But um, <laughs> and I mean, joking aside, I, I know it can be and we can talk about that as well, how it does, this doesn't have to be a, a depressing uh diagnosis despite the fact that you mentioned a grieving there which is understandable as well but Brianna for you um getting diagnosed with with it, what did it mean for you and how did it change how you view yourself and also you know what strategies did you um get from it the diagnosis uh
1: it was so funny because I I told my parents and initially my mum was like no nothing's wrong with you I think it's a, a protectiveness um and it's a reason why a lot of Girls especially don't get diagnosed as their, their parents don't see their behaviours as a problem. So my mum was like, we just we just thought you were a bit weird. And I thought that's really sweet. They just loved me for my weirdness. But my poor mum was so frustrated at me all the time for losing stuff, being late, not being able to organise, being very high functioning and being good at school, but not being good at what I call the admin of life. So like remembering to take, you know, your sports kits, she'd be forever driving up the school. So she's just frustrated. So it was actually really vindicating to turn around and be like, I told you, there's nothing wrong with me. My brother particularly enjoyed it. He's like, I told you she was weird. We, like, He was like, I told you guys for years you should have taken her to a doctor. Um, so that's kind of my family. We cope with things with humour. Um, and my mom was like, are you going to get a, a disabled parking sticker now? And I was <laughs> like, no, no, unfortunately, we have to still <laughs> park at the normal parking at the shops. And uh, that was her disappointment with the issue. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, I really tried not to have that grieving process of, oh, there's all these things I could have applied for. Like if I had known at school, I could have got extra time with exams. I could have um, taken a break. So we have like three hour papers in Australia um, when we're seeing the leaving. So if I could have gotten up once per hour and just walked around the building, that would have made my life a hell of a lot easier. It's those small things that would have changed my whole life. Um, but I, I didn't get to do them. It was, I probably spent, I gave myself two, two days to wallow and I was like, right, going to move on now. Um, and I have, I didn't have that sort of burning anger. Um, and now maybe I just channel it into, to awareness raising. So talking about my own life. So if someone out there is like, hang on, that sounds scarily familiar. They have the language and the tools to advocate for themselves at doctors. I mean, it's very Easy to be frustrated at GPs who miss this, but this isn't in a lot of GP training. I mean, I understand ADHD in Ireland. Like there is like one or two psychiatrists who diagnose and deal with that, even though all psychiatrists technically can. Um, it's just very, uh, it's just not a subject
0: that comes up in Ireland.
1: So you kind of have to be forgiving and an understanding of that. But I wish that I had found out sooner, but I'm glad that I caught it when I did.
0: Mm. And what age were you with the diagnosis, Brianna?
1: I was 30. So uh, not the latest glimmer. A lot of women get diagnosed uh, during menopause because hormonal changes uh, really throw you out of whack and bring out. You make your symptoms a lot worse, even though you might have managed them your whole life. So I was 30, uh, and it's really funny because the thing that I, you know, really pisses me off. is like, oh, but my nephew has ADHD and you don't seem like my nephew. I was like, oh really, a 30-year-old woman doesn't seem like an eight-year-old boy. Yeah. Weird <laughs> how that those symptoms manifest differently, isn't it? Um <laughs> I also love when people ask me because, you know, people are quite like, oh, God, I don't want my child having ADHD. So they're like, oh, like did, what happened when you were younger? Did did something happen? And I love like, you know, making things up. I was like, yeah, my mum let me go on the trampoline every day, you know, that's what happened. Uh, I, I used, I put conditioner first instead of shampoo, you know. So it's it's just educating people and and kind of breaking down the stereotypes of ADHD.
0: Maraid mentioned she's on some medication. Are you on also medication? And I think it's something really important to talk about too, because medication can get a really bad rap and people, some people are quite critical or down on it, but actually can be so transformative in terms of making your life better.
1: Oh, completely. And, um, you know, we heard those horror stories of, of children in um, Kerry being, um, being given too high doses. And I i am very lucky in some ways that I was diagnosed as an adult because it's not just like, here's this magic pill and you can do all these things and you're going to be really smart and get your life together. I think the first day I took it, I was like, "Oh my god, I've achieved so much! I made that dentist appointment that I was putting off for for six months." Like that—that's—that's that's it for me. The medication doesn't help me, you know, learn foreign languages or learn how to day trade the stock market. It's like, oh, you can you can make basic medical appointments, you know. Um, but the dosage is a big thing, you know. It takes a lot of trial and error, and I have spent probably close to five hundred euros on medication that I can't use necessarily because it was the wrong dose or in the wrong format. And the medication in Ireland is prohibitively expensive. Um, I paid €30 euro in Australia for the same medication. I paid €114 euro for in Ireland. Um, it's ridiculous. I don't understand it. So, uh, yeah, medication, like it's it, it, it's a lot of you know, making sure you get the dosage right. And you can have, you know, side effects. You can be really anxious. You can not sleep. You can go days without sleep sometimes. Um, So, you know, it's trial and error and having a good psychiatrist and GP able to support you through that is key. And uh, I think it must be really difficult for kids who maybe can't advocate for themselves, maybe don't know the, the words for, oh, hey, I think this medication makes me a bit anxious between the hours of four and five when it's wearing off. So, um, yeah, I think there really needs to be more supports in place for both adults and children.
0: Mairead, do you want to come in here? Right? You've been nodding your head off uh, pretty much <laughs> everything Brianna has been saying. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about what, how it manifests for both of you and what strategies you have to do with those day to day things. So Mairead, what are your big things that you know about yourself since your diagnosis that you, you know, you make sure that you have the right strategy for them?
2: This is like such a loaded question for me because, uh, you know, sometimes uh, I feel I don't manage very well with it. And uh, it's tricky because I've kind of gone on now to sort of train as a coach and work with people with ADHD. And I do find this huge imposter syndrome where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm trying to help people put in these strategies. Um, One thing I have, I don't actually have one here with me now, but I have these little timers in every room. It's just like a, it's like a clock face. They're called time timers and you twist it to the 60 minutes and it starts to count down. And I literally carry these timers with me to every single room, particularly in the morning when I need to get out the door, because the kind of technical term for it is time blindness. I have zero concept of the passing of time. Um, so, you know, it'll sort of be nine o'clock and I know I need to be at work at half 10, but I'll have a coffee and then I'll be like, no, I'll have another coffee and I have time. So it's kind of little things like that. I kind of call it outsourcing. Um, my brain, I just don't think, is ever going to have that understanding of we really need to get going now. So I have to rely on external things. Um, another thing is because um, my my primary job at the moment um, is as, uh, as a lawyer. I, I practice as a barrister and there's a huge amount of paperwork, um, which is just hell, absolute hell. It's just the worst thing for anyone with ADHD. So I have voice recognition software so that I can move about. And what I find this really interesting is small children actually know what to do. They know how to compensate. Um, and it's kind of when they go into school environments um, and work environments then afterwards that they are told, no, you can't do that and you must do it this way. So I know as a child, particularly as a teenager in secondary school, the way I used to do my homework was to pace around my bedroom talking to myself. And I would also make these elaborate games where I would kind of line up like, you know, any teddy bears or anything I had. Um, Yes, still at sort 13, 14. And I would kind of be having like a classroom with them. And that was how I was able to keep my brain interested. But then you go into the world of work and you're supposed to sit in these sort of open plan offices. And I would sometimes find that I needed to escape away, you know, kind of go somewhere else. But you're not supposed to do that it's weird um so now as an adult that i work for myself i'm able to bring back in those strategies you know i can move around if i need to um but in the world of work it's getting better and companies are starting to recognize it but it's not really you know those things aren't really sort of normal or allowed
0: for people with adhd then the cold remote working and having to work at home might have been in some ways quite useful for them to be have more freedom to work exactly how they could be more productive and happier. Um, Brianna, you're nodding as well. I think it's like this mutual ADHD society. But you know, the timer thing, do, does that resonate with you, the time blindness and all of those things?
1: Oh yeah. Like I have a timer <laughs> that I set to 25 minutes, right? And then there's like a it's like a visual timer. It's it doesn't make a noise, which is really key for people who are neurodivergent who get overstimulated by noise. Like a ticking clock, a, a quiet room will set me off. Um, so I have a a, a noiseless clock and I can see on the blue, like, like the amount of blue left and like, right, I only have a centimeter left of blue. So instead of like, you know, going down a Wikipedia, uh, tube about like serial killers, I am going to stay on this task for that extra five minutes and then I will spend my five minutes break going down the, the hole and then I will come back. So it's, it's really key. Uh, work from home is like the best and worst thing that's ever happened to me um, because uh, I can get too focused and I find I end up working longer hours because I don't have the off switch, whereas like at least with the commute, the office goes dark at five thirty six pm and everyone leaves and it's a bit weird if you're the one left, uh, people think that you're, you know, don't have a life and you're sleeping there. So you have to leave the office and go about your life. Um, But I also like being able to do things like when I can't settle down or I'm really overwhelmed because ADHD is, you know, you might have on your to-do list, like write this email, um, write this newsletter, write this article. But in my head, it's like, call this person, make sure you find this person's right email address, check their Twitter, for like the last thing they posted, make sure they haven't gone really weird and they're still in that topic. And like my to-do list just spiral out and it's very easy to get overwhelmed. So I find that if I back away and like I would teach myself how to do handstands and headstands, and if I do that for like 30 seconds to a minute, um, my body is ready to go back and work again and then I'm able to, to come back. You can't do that in the office. or uh, well You can, but it just looks really weird. Um, so I'm just allowed to be my weird stuff at home. I'm allowed to keep noise cancelling headphones in, you know, in an office that looks really unsocial, but the reality is if I don't have that in, work's not going to get done. And I don't mean to, to be rude and unsocial, but, you know, open plan offices are the worst thing for people with ADHD or any kind of neurodivergence you know, on the scale, it's just the, the designs of the modern workplace are the worst of people like us. So it's good. I really miss human interaction though. So I'm trying to do at least one or two days in the office to get the best of both worlds. I think that's the key
0: going forward. And listen, before we leave this, I want to ask you both a couple of things. People listening might be, um you know, they might be recognising some of the things that you're both saying and they might be considering, oh God, that might be me. Can we talk about what help is available and whether, you know, whether everyone needs a diagnosis or whether there's a way of kind of, for some people just going along in their life, but with more of a recognition. And then also, I suppose, just um, on the positive side, I'd like to talk about, you know, good things from it. But first of all, what can people do if they, they are listening and thinking that sounds very like me?
2: Um, Yeah, so I suppose um, the first step if you are kind of wanting to pursue a diagnosis is um, you need to get yourself referred to either a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, They are the only uh, two professionals who can actually do the diagnostic process. Um, Most psychiatrists will require a GP referral. Um, A lot of psychologists uh, won't ask for that. The major difference is that a psychologist cannot prescribe medication, but a psychiatrist, can. Um, So, you know, you kind of want to just think about, is that an avenue I want to pursue? And you should kind of be thinking about, well, if not now is it something I might want to in the future? Because unfortunately, if you go to a psychologist first and then down the road, you decide, actually, I would like to try a medication, most psychiatrists will require to diagnose you again. Um, And I think it really just comes down to the fact that with the drugs for ADHD, they're controlled drugs, they're quite powerful drugs. And so any medical professional will want to stand over their own diagnosis. Um, So ADHD Ireland on their website have a list of clinicians who are for adults and then children um you know broken down into different areas i will say that the waiting lists um are just absolutely insane um you know i know that my own psychiatrist has a waiting list of over 2 years um you know and it's a similar story with a, a lot of the others the, the hsc has just launched a public service for adults which was badly needed but again it's in its infancy and the waiting lists are, are really long um but i'm not saying any of that to discourage anyone i think diagnosis can be hugely important and and very very healing for people and how I always describe it is that ADHD isn't a label but it's a lens both for you to look at yourself in a sort of a kinder and a more compassionate way but also so that you can advocate for yourself and say to people this is who I am, this is what I need. And I need you not to, it's that equality equity thing, isn't it? I don't need you to treat me the same as everybody else. I need you to treat me, you know, in terms of what's actually going on for me and what I need. So I think it can be very powerful. And, you know, talking about all
0: that therapy and various psychiatrists, psychologists and something that um, you alluded to, Brianna, as well. The cost of this, if you're lucky enough to have the funds to pay for all that. And Brianna, I know that's something you're very grateful for, that you were in a position to do that. Um, But a lot of people who I suppose have this aren't in a position, um, which is very difficult. Am I allowed to say bad words on the podcast?
1: Yes. I mean, like, fuck me. Like, it is a horrendous system um uh you know and i was it makes me really angry because there are people who are struggling thinking they have anxiety depression or just think that they're useless and they're bad and they can't get their life together and a diagnosis would change everything for them and they can't access it and so i i try not to to get too into it but the rates of um if you look at drug abuse uh, you know, drug addiction and undiagnosed ADHD go hand in hand because people are using drugs to feel normal or to escape the suicide rates increase like this is this is serious this isn 't just oh i can 't sit still in class like, this is this is someone 's whole outlook, how they feel about themselves, how their family treats them and like i 'm lucky that my the psychiatrist I went to he 's on the lower end of six hundred euro for a diagnosis, which is a lot like that 's a thousand Australian money. Um, and in comparison, I had to, I ran out of medication in Australia, had to get an emergency and appointment with a psychiatrist and had the receptionist apologize to me profusely because I had to pay a hundred, a hundred Australian dollars. So 60 euro, which half of which I got back on the Australian Medicare system. And I got in within three hours as opposed to six months in Ireland. So it's just people in Ireland are really getting left behind. So if you're thinking about a diagnosis, get the money together. Um, if you can't get in an island, go across the border, do it, find ways around. It's really important that if you think this is happening, that you can, that you can get the help you need. In the meantime, um, I go to an occupational therapist and Susan, um, and I love Susan. <laughs> Susan, um, you know, teaches me how to be on time for work. She teaches an adult woman at the age of 30 how to tell time um, and she's she's 70 euro a session and that is, to me, has made more a difference than medication. So you can still see occupational therapists and those people um, if you just think you have maybe a diagnosis or you just have inattentive qualities. You can start doing those things now um, while you're waiting. So yeah, but the, the key thing is either needs to get shit together. I'm not going to be unapologetic about that. Um, But in the meantime, there are people who can help you uh, kind of live with this.
0: Yeah. And Mairead, you're one of those people because you do coach people. And just final word to you, just if again, if someone is listening and thinking that feels like me, can we put a positive stance on it slightly? Because it sounds like you two. And I know it's not about everyone being high achieving. I don't think that's the point of life, but the the two of you are, you know, excelling in your fields. And um, it's not it doesn't have to be a doom and gloom kind of diagnosis. And it can be a way of just understanding yourself better and being the best person you can be. Sorry, I had to put on a sort of an accent to say that. <laughs> what do you think finally, Mairead?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, like there's a famous psychiatrist in the States, Ned Hallowell, and he calls this the good news diagnosis. And it absolutely is. I mean, if you, um, you know, get diagnosed with ADHD, um, you can kind of find the right supports, which, you know, yes, absolutely. It can include ADHD coaching, which is what I do. Occupational therapy is really, really similar. Um, like, and obviously the medication is hugely helpful, it can turn your life around. And there are so many positives with it. Um, You know, Brianna alluded to a lot of them. There's that hyper-focus, um, you know, creativity, outside-the-box thinking. The key to understanding ADHD is that our brains are not motivated by reward. They're motivated by interest. And so, you know, doing our taxes because we should do that, or, you know, even getting our work done when you're self-employed because you're going to get paid that is not getting us going. But stuff like giving yourself a time deadline, Um, you know, you've got adrenaline going now and all of a sudden the interest, like when I say interest, I don't just mean it's interesting. I mean, you know, things like that, things like being under time pressure. Um, And so what Brianna described of kind of having all of this work in a short time and then kind of being burnt out, that's actually a strategy that some people with ADHD will use. And having permission to build your life in that way where you can work really intensely and then build in a down week, that's when you start to thrive. But it is about letting go of what other people and society say you should do. And we have definitely a long way to go on that. But I mean, I wouldn't change it. It's part of who I am. And like, there are many gifts.
0: Great. Um, would you agree,
2: Brianna, you wouldn't change it
0: now or? How do you feel? I wish
1: I wouldn't change it now, but I wish that I had the instructions to my brain a little bit earlier than the age of thirty. Do you know what I mean? And and you're right, like motivation, like the the reward of like, oh, I've tidied up the house now, and now I feel good about myself doesn't apply to me. Like I don't like I find that a wasted time. That's like two hours <laughs> I could have been doing something else, reading or interviewing someone or writing a book or whatever, learning handstands. Uh, and I just have to accept that like I'm not a tidy, organized woman. And that's fine. Um, because, like, the worst thing you can be as a woman is unclean and untidy, let's face it, and like unorganized and getting people's birthdays. And I'm like, if I was a man, no one would really care if I wasn't good at these things. So I just think of, I think like a man now. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I take those pressures off myself. But really, like, ADHD is actually like a great crack. You know, people, <laughs> people love having you around because uh, you're always up for doing something because you, yourself from something else, um, you know, it, it makes you really fun in relationships because, like, no one knows what they're coming home to. Um, <laughs> um, and like, I could be building a, building a pillow fort. I could have painted the lounge room. Like, James has no idea. It's a surprise. That's my boyfriend. Um, so yeah, like, it's, it's it's. If I didn't have ADHD, I don't know if I would be the writer that I am, the broadcaster that I am, and the journalist that I am. Because really, my career is just following my special interest of the day down a rabbit hole until I come out with something. Um, But my only advice to someone with ADHD or who thinks they have ADHD is pick something that you like doing, get really good at it and work for yourself. So you're out of all the the you know having to respond to how a company does things just just find your own way through
0: I think that's yeah. brilliant advice from both of you I'm really grateful for you both for coming on and I think what you said Mairead about just giving up the ideas of what society expects we can all take a bit of that whether we have HD yeah. or we don't there's ways for us all to work and be in the world and there's no reason why we can't find those ways and give up the kind of traditional um, that people put on us. So yeah, good I mean, what Brandon said
2: there is absolutely the key. What you need to find is the intersection of what you like to do, what you're good at and what somebody will pay you to do. If you can find that sweet spot, you know, all bets are off so and you know we look at like Richard Branson um, Michael Phelps there are so many people at the top of business board with ADHD Simone Biles I think Emma Watson yeah. there's, yes. a of, yes. there's a lot
0: of there's a lot of you very super high achieving ADHD yeah. people around okay well thank you so much both of you for telling us all about it and I hope our listeners can get in touch and I'm sure you'll be um, deluged now with the inquiries Mairead, of, about from the coaching and I hope you can cope with them you'll have to manage those and get strategies <laughs> <laughs> for that
2: just to say yeah um, the uh, it's if people just go to sparkcoaching.ie classically because I have ADHD, I have not managed to set up a website. Uh, even though it was meant to be done six months ago, it's still just a landing page. But if they go to, I will get there eventually. <laughs> if they go to sparkcoaching. my emails there. But just to say to people, just there will be a delay because I just need to kind of manage the inquiries. I
0: think everyone's going to understand that now having heard from you. So it's <laughs> great, it's <laughs> yeah. great to talk to you, um, Brianna again, and thank you very much, Maraid, for that.
2: Thanks so much.
0: That's all we have time for. Do get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast or by email thewomen'spodcast at irishtimes.com. Thanks to Brianna Parkins and Marie DV. The podcast is produced by me, Rosine Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan, with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves, and I'll talk to you next time.